0: All right, y'all ready for the Word of God? All right, all right. Well, if you got your Bibles, go to Matthew. We're still in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Today we're going to cover verses 12 through 14. That's Matthew, chapter 18, covering verses 12 through 14. When you get there, just put a finger there or uh, put a piece of paper there. If you got your phone on, just close it so Facebook don't distract you. Nah, I mean, (laughs) I want to start this sermon off. We're relating to parents with teenager issues. Some of y'all said, Thank God I came to church. I needed some help. We can do nothing but cry with one another. (laughs) I tell Ken, I say, Take notes for me. He's like, Man, you just got to get through it, bro. You just got to get through it. Many of you may know my daughter, Kyla. She is the oldest of Paige and I, three children, and as always, part of being a teenager is growing up, finding your own identity, and making your own decisions to some degree. Let me say that again so the teenagers hear me. Making your own decisions to some degree. And we are getting to that stage in my house where, uh, where she is and uh, the place that uh, she's growing up there's a bit of friction in the house, to say it nicely. (laughs) She is having more and more moments of wanting to do her own thing. One example is when we are at the dinner table, and she is missing in action, and she's usually in her room. And as the father of the home, I want all my children at the dinner table eating as a family. And I quickly ask my wife, where is Kyla? And she says in her room, and with a loud, stern voice, I say, girl, get downstairs and eat dinner. As a father, it is not enough for me to just have two of my children at the dinner table, but I need to see all of them at the dinner table. You know, Tony Evans says the dinner table is the place where you catch up with everyone, where you get, where the father gets an update on the household. And she often asks me, dad, Why do you care if I'm at the table? Or in other circumstances, Daddy, why are you so concerned about me or overprotective? Do you think, this is her response, do you think I cannot care for myself? Pay the rent. She comes to me talking about something. You owe me allowance. Girl, you in debt, you don't even know it. <laughs> and sometimes I just reply to her, because I love you, princess, and you don't know how much I love you. As your father, I'm here to protect you. Of course, at the age of 13, you are conscious of the dangers of the world. I feel this way about all my children, even my spiritual daughter, Kiera. No matter which one of my kids, I'm constantly keeping watch over them because I care for them. And if I feel or see they are going astray, I either draw near to the one that is drifting, or I start searching, And if if they are not in their place, like at the dinner table. Friends, this is a small picture of God's love and care for his children. God watches over us and draws near to those drifting and searching for those who go astray All right. today we will zoom in on how much God loves each of us not collectively only but individually what we have been learning these past couple of weeks is just how much God cares for his children right. at the beginning of this chapter we see Christ take a little child into his arms as a teaching illustration for his disciples who are preoccupied with rank. You remember at the beginning of chapter 18, they come to Jesus and says, who is the greatest? They're concerned about being on top. They're concerned about being the man. They're concerned about being the dude. They want to be in the center of the spotlight. And this is how chapter 18 starts off. And so they come to Jesus preoccupied with rank. But Jesus, he wanted to teach them how to enter his kingdom. Well, to enter, one must become like a child. If you recall in Jesus' day, children were not like the children today where they're highly privileged and Netflix and TV shows got a kid zone for them and they got more rights than parents and if you touch them, you're in trouble and all this other crazy stuff that they got going on. But children in Jesus' day were marginalized. They were second-class citizens. Children were helpless. They were weak and lacking and in need of grace. And Jesus says, We all must come to him as such, needy, lacking, and weak, and wanting. It is with this posture that we receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And all those who believe that Jesus died for their sins and that he rose from the dead and he's coming back again for all of his children are children of the most high God. Uh, First John puts it this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It's everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, underline this, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Do I got to like the person next to me? I don't know. What did it say? I'll let you deal with that. But that was verses 1 through 4, and we also learned last week from this chapter, verses 5 through 11, that God doesn't play with his children. God doesn't play about his children. I'm sorry. The day is coming when God will deal with the world for mishandling his children, but far be it from the church to mishandle God's children. Instead, we ought to receive one another like children. It is the community of the redeemed that God's children ought to find rest. It is in the company of the fellow undeserving recipients of grace that God expects even the least among us to be cared for. Because when we care for each other, we are caring for Christ. God would deal with all those who set up his children to stumble. I'll put a little caveat here really fast. Last week, um, me and uh, Brother Melvin had a conversation, so thankful for this brother. Um, And in my uh, expositing of the text, I kept going back and forth between stumble and sin. The ESV renders it as sin, and the NSAB uh, render it as stumble and he said that, that kind of placed a bit of a confusion within the congregation. And so I want to clarify, and sometimes uh, when you're dealing with translations, it's good to have maybe three or four of them out to kind of help you understand, right? And didn't mind that brother coming to me when I say that even the pastor is under the word of God, I mean it. Um, and so stumble is the better word instead of making someone sin, because we can't make anyone sin, but we can set them up to try to make them fail. Moving on. He alone has laid down his life for his children, Jesus Christ. And oh, what a high price he paid for you so that you would become sons and daughters of God. Church, it was no low price that God paid for you. He paid the highest price possible. He went as deep in his pockets as he could to bring you back to redeem you for himself. Oh, how God values his children. And friends, it is by way of this next divinely inspired parable, famously titled the Parable of the Lost Sheep, that we go deeper into this divine love. Friends, even as I begin perusing the periphery of this particular pericope, as Ken would say, my heart couldn't help but be drawn into the divine love of God-illustrated love for his children in this parable. It was as if the love of God had lifted off of the pages of Scripture and landed into my heart and left me in a staggering moment. Maybe I got a witness this morning. Have you ever studied the Word of God and you were coming I mean, just to study, but all of a sudden you started worshiping him. You had to close your Bible and say, oh my God, I came to just study you, but now I'm falling on my face as I think of your love and your mercy. I hope that this parable does that for you, because sometimes, sometimes we need to not just study God, we need to worship God. God will not only be studied, but God will be worshiping. And can I argue for just a moment here, if all you do is study God. You never worship God. You ain't studying right. You ought to get to a point where you're studying, and you're getting your theology on, and that theology overflows into doxology, and that doxology overflows into sociology. I came to tell you that the Word of God will make you worship, church. And so as I was studying the text, I had to pause for a moment close the Bible and say I know I got to preach on Sunday God but if I can just sit here for a moment and endure, adore the love that you lavish on a no good Dexter Harris if I can sit here for just a moment y'all don't mind, just for a moment I had to just worship God and so we move on to this draw dropping text the Lord says what do you think? if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the other one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish you will indulge me for a minute as I set this parable up, I want to identify the characters in the parable. First, we have the 99 sheep. Second, we have the strayed sheep. And three, we have the man who is obviously the good shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus Christ, identified as a man in verse 12. And here's why I believe that's a being. Jesus is often called the shepherd in the Bible. Secondly, he's called the man. Thirdly, what this man slash shepherd does here fits the purpose of the incarnation. You remember in the Gospel of John, he at the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. You drop your eyes down to verse 14 and it says the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And so why did he come? Well, we see this at the beginning of Matthew. Matthew starts off his book with this. It says, she will bear a son. And you should call his name Jesus, for he will. It didn't say he might. It didn't say maybe. It didn't say perhaps. It says, for he will save his people from their sins. That's a promise that will not be broken. He will save his people from their sins. Now on to the hundred sheep. The hundred sheep represents the church. The community of the redeemed, all those who have faith in Jesus. Very, very important we understand that the sheep are only those who have been born of God by the Spirit of God. The sheep, let me say it again, the sheep are those who have been born of God by the Spirit of God. Now, if you're not a sheep, you're a goat, well, them goats, well, well, you know, I, I don't want to be called no goat, man. Just right there, convert me. I don't want to be no goat. You know, I want to be something like a lamb or a lion or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be no no, no goat. Anyways, that's got nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, but, but anyways, these 99 sheep seem to be doing well in their spiritual walk. They are sticking close to the shepherd. And you have the strange sheep, the strange sheep represents the black, the backsliding Christian. This is the sheep who thinks they don't need the shepherd or the other sheep and thinks it can play with sin and Satan and no harm will come its way. And what is the point of the parable, though, that God love has no bounds when it comes to his children. Now, let's walk through this together. Jesus starts off with a rhetorical question. He says to his disciples, what do you think? Now, I could easily pass over this, and many of you wish I would because we'll get out five minutes earlier if I did, but I'm not. Because I want you to note something here, believer. Why ask a rhetorical question? What is the purpose? It is to get you to think. Not answer, but to Think. Jesus is always trying to get us to think what? Biblically. He's always calling his disciples to think about Scripture. Because Scripture does what for us? It it does what? It gives us insight on the mind of God. You want to know what God is thinking? Read your Bible. Remember, the disciples came to Jesus wanting to know what? They wanted to know how they can become great. And Jesus said, okay, you want how to become great? Come up close and listen. Let me tell you what it is to be great. Now Jesus could have abandoned them and said, you know what? I'm gonna find me another 12. Here it is. You guys are talking about, I'm just saying, you got to hop in the Bible for a minute. You guys are talking about being great. And I just told you that I'm getting ready to go to the cross and die. And y'all know what the cross is. Y'all know what crucifixion is. And all y'all talking about is you If I was Jesus, I would have been mad. I would have left all 12 of them right there. I would have been gone. I would have hopped on my donkey and I would have left. I would have been gone. Ain't no Uber neither. So y'all on y'all own Uber donkey. That would have been. I would have lived. Never mind. <laughs> just saying, just saying, trying to, trying to get paid, trying to help him get paid. That's all. But they came to him wanting to know how to be great. And Jesus is about to die a horrible death and be separated from the Father. And their word about who's the greatest. But he doesn't abandon them. What does he do? He teaches them more. He teaches them how to think biblically. So here it is. Church, all under shepherds, that is pastors who have been called by Jesus, if they are from the Lord, they will try to make you think biblically. It is their joy to help you grow in your ability to know the master's voice. They lead you in what? The word of God. You better be careful who you put yourself under, false teachers don't give two cents about you thinking biblically because they don't care about your soul. You are nothing but a resource to benefit them. Okay, so Bethel Gary, don't just let me preach to you this morning. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here. And I want you to think deeply about what he's saying here. And I want you to allow it to go down into your hearts and to stir your affection for the Lord. If you want your, your affection stirred for the Lord, you need the word of God moving around in your heart. And this is how you want to read the Bible, thinking. Now, one pastor says this, Pastor Marvin Knight says, Christianity is not a religion that asks you to check your mind at the door. Christianity is a religion that calls you to place your mind under the yoke of Christ. It does not say deny your rationality. It says submit it to God's revelation. So what does God want us to get this morning? The parable parable goes on. Drop your eyes down to the Bible. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, Jesus is like this. Hey, yo, check it out. Imagine this dude who had 100 sheep and one of them left. Now, you got to understand that the audience that Jesus is communicating to, they know clearly what he's talking about. It's like somebody say, imagine this guy who, had, who was on Facebook. He had 100 followers and he lost one. Some of y'all say good. <laughs> Tired of people looking on my page, never liking it, but spying on me. I'm just saying. I'm just putting that out there. In Jesus' day, though, Sheep going astray or wandering wasn't uncommon. So you have to understand the location that Jesus is in. He is in Judea having this conversation. And in Judea, it was easy for sheep to stray. The land is hilly and rugged. The pasture is very scarce. Sheep could easily stray into a ravine, some precipice or a ledge or, or something dangerous and easily get lost. And I mean, shepherds got so used to looking for these sheep, that they became experts at locating lost sheep. It's how often sheep would get lost in the city of Judea. And so shepherds would go looking for them. They would be able to easily identify with this. The people that he's talking to, his disciples, would be easily, easily identified with what Jesus is talking about. And here's the crazy part. It is not easy to find these sheep. They can get themselves into some very precarious predicaments. Even if you can spot them, getting to them is the hard part. Getting them out of the simple situation they got themselves into isn't simple. I just said something there. So let's be real. It sounds like us, doesn't it? God knows the proclivity of our hearts to leave him. Is this not us? Do we not stray from God? Often, not sometimes, but often. This is our nature as it relates to Adam. All of humanity strays away from God. If you remember Kim's very sermon on this, all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned where? Everyone to his own way. That's poetic right there. Every one of us to his own way. But even after salvation, we still have seasons and frequent moments to where we stray, God knows that I am prone to wonder from him every day. Amen. Can I be honest this morning? Amen. One minute I love him, and the other minute I wonder if he's even around. Amen. Our hearts are like sheep, Right? As, as I said, in Judea, sometimes the pasture was, was, was very, 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 very low, and so the sheep would wander. You, you, you know what it is to have low pastor in your life, right? Where you're like, God, why do you have me in this place? The money's low. The, the house is getting ready to go. My friends don't like me. God, I need to find some happiness and some joy, and I'm not finding it in church. And so what do we do? We go wandering all over looking for joy. And we be honest this morning. I'm talking about situations that have us mess up for, for years. We are like sheep, we get ourselves into sticky situations. I'm talking situations where you look up and you have no idea how you got there. You have no clue on how to get back. You ever looked out in church and you see everybody experiencing the presence of God? And so you know that He's near. But you just can't encounter him. You even recall the days when you were on fire like that. We got ourselves into things we expect God to deliver us from overnight. We wander off to experience some new sin or some old sin. And one day we are singing a hymn and the next day we're crying because of the trials that God has brought in our lives. God, you let this happen. How could you? How could you allow this situation to come upon me? And what do we run to? We run to the bottle. Maybe run to porn. Maybe run to being a work alcoholic. Anything to numb our pain. Like sheep, the further we get from the shepherd, the more we endanger ourselves. We are sheep. We are straying from the shepherd. And sometimes we don't even know it. One man asked a shepherd, How do sheep go astray? He said, They just nibble their way astray. You see, sheep just nibble their way astray. With their head down, they're nibbling on the grass and they nibble their way to a hole in the gate. They go astray. You better be careful what you're nibbling on because because going astray doesn't happen suddenly. It happens little by little by little by little. And by the time you look up, you're somewhere. You don't even know how you got there. You better be careful where you're nibbling. You better be careful what you're eating on because sometimes you nibble on the wrong thing. And after a while, it quenches your desire for God. And and all of a sudden, you're lost. Sheep get lost by nibbling. You know, I hear things about people scared to go to Chicago and Gary because they fear for their lives. But how many people know the most dangerous place in life is to be far away from God, to be far away from the Lord? I was in the backyard one day, and I was cleaning my car, and my three children were outside, and... Uh, Lila who's the little one and so if you've ever been to my place there's a lot of grass out there but there's a semi-busy street right there and so I'm cleaning my car. I got one eye on Lila and the other kids mainly on Lila because she doesn't know any better and there's a dog. uh, uh, We were uh, babysitting a dog. I'm glad that's over with Um, and so the dog Runs across the street. Now I'm watching Lila as she's getting further and further and further away from me. And the further she gets away from her father, the closer she's getting to. Danger. Danger. And it is the same thing. The further we get away from our father, the closer we're getting to danger. And Liza's not dumb. She's a smart girl. She was just unaware of the danger that was in the street. But as soon as she got close, you know who came running. Daddy came running to get her because my eyes are always on my children. I remember straying from God myself. And the most vivid picture I have is in my earlier time in my walk. It was about a year and a half in. I had got saved, and I was on fire for the Lord. And then Paige and I started dating, and we started going to church together. But after a while, we started having sex outside of marriage, and we kept going to church and having sex outside of marriage, and After a while, we just stopped reading. We stopped praying. We stopped associating ourselves with the church family as much. We kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper into our sin. The deeper we got, the more isolated we became. And I remember telling myself, I don't know how to get back to God. Ever felt that way? I felt so lost. I knew how to get to the church building. But I couldn't find my way back to God. I knew how to locate my Bible in the house. But I couldn't locate God for some reason. There's a big difference from locating the church and your physical Bible and locating God. There's a big difference. But it's the nature of the sheep. Sheep stray. It's in their nature to stray. What does it mean to stray? It means to move away aimlessly from a group or from the right course or place. This is the picture of this lost sheep. It moves away from the group and off the path of righteousness. You see, sheep don't need anyone to lead them astray. They just stray. Nor is it surprising of the sheep because sheep stray, which is why they need a shepherd. If you don't understand your heart and your proclivity to leave God, you don't understand how bad you need a shepherd. When you think that, that, that you're good and you can do this Christian walk on your own, it is when you go astray. But when you understand that I'm jacked up and I'm messed up, and God, if you move away from me, I'm going to go far, 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 far away. How many people I know if it wasn't for the grace of God? And so I'm so glad that the shepherd answers the amber alert. (laughs) Does he not leave the 99, is what he says, on the mountain and go and search for the one that went astray? I want you to note this down. The lost sheep doesn't go looking for the shepherd. But the shepherd goes looking for the lost sheep. I'm going to say that again. The sheep does not go looking for the lost shepherd. The shepherd goes looking for the lost sheep. The moment the shepherd is aware of the missing sheep, he doesn't slumber, but he begins his search. The verse says, he leaves. I'm so glad that God answers the amber alert of his own children. Oh, come on, church, praise be to God that although we go astray, the good shepherd comes running after us. Where would I be if Jesus didn't come after me? Over and 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 over again. I can say that the whole sermon, over and over and over And I still will not count the number of times he came to get me. The book of John says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus left heaven and he came to earth. He died and he rose from the dead and he did it all for us. But he would have did it for just one of us. The Bible says one day he will interrupt human history to come rapture us to himself. Come on, church, ain't nobody like Jesus. That's what the old saints used to say. Ain't nobody like Jesus. There's no dope house he will not knock down to get to you. There's no trial he would not spare to get to you. There's no porn site or man or woman, he won't remove to get to you. If you stray, church, from Christ, you better bank on it that he's coming for you. He's coming to get you. It might not seem like it at first, but he's coming for you. When the shepherd finds that the sheep is gone, he's coming. Did we ask him to come? No. When he comes, let me tell you something. He's not begging and pleading with sin to let you go. Sin has to let you go because he has bought you with his blood and you belong to him. He's not negotiating with sin and saying, sin, you know, just, you know, I'll give you anything. Just please let them go. If you let them go, I'll give you that being you always wanted sin. Just let my sheep go. Jesus is not begging. He's coming in. He's kicking down the door and he's grabbing his children. And he's walking out with you. And I'm telling you, if Yahweh comes for you, he's coming back with you. If Yahweh comes for you, he's coming back with you. I ain't never known God to go for something and not come back with what what it is that he desires. There's a weak Christianity out here that says God is begging and pleading with people that wasn't Yahweh because when Yahweh shows up, he's coming back with whatever he comes for. Oh, sin got to let you go because he's paid the proper price for you. He's coming. Why? Is it because he's pressured to? Is it because his clout would go down because he has one less. If you zoom in on the text, you hear him repeat that word one several times. He is coming because he loves you. Let me say that again. God is coming for you, Christian, because he loves you. He loves you out. He loves you, Ken. He loves you, Daniel. He loves you, Jatika. He loves you, Stone. Yes, I shouldn't have did that. Somebody like, he don't love me. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody waiting on their name to be called. I know my name now. <laughs> I know my name coming. <laughs> we. I'm being first seat in heaven. I know they calling me. But he loves you individually. He leaves the 99 that are safe to go save the one. Why does he do it? Because of his love. And I'm not talking that weak puppy love. I'm not talking about circumstantial love. I'm not talking, I'm talking a agape love. You tell me a parent that would be okay if one of their children were missing, but they had the rest. If I tell Paige, hey babe, We got two of our children, but one is gone. So we're all good because we got two and two is greater than one. You know how to do math, right? Two is greater than one. No church. You have no idea what kind of love you are playing with. Because we are in Christ, to lose us to the Father is to lose Christ. You have no idea what kind of love you're dealing with, Christian. You're dealing with the overwhelming, relentless love of God. Nothing is going to stop God from going after you. Romans puts it this way, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what does this mean for us, church? Remember, he's talking to his disciples about caring for each other, Remember, this is the lesson on being great. Being great in God's kingdom is what? Caring for each other. Listen, we then care for each other like children to the degree that we pursue each other back from danger, back from sin. We ought to warn each other and encourage each other to stay with the 99. This is not just the job of the pastor. But it is the job of the entire church. Let me go back to the story with my children. And so Lila is getting closer to the street. I vote after her, but not just me. Kyla and Dakai vote after her too because the church, when we see someone straying, not only should Jesus go after them, but you should go after them. And don't be keeping their sin secrets. Confront them. And if they're not, hold on, let me me be careful here. Because if they're struggling in their sin and they're fighting, that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who are arrogant in sin. They are public about it. This is what I'm doing. Here I stand. Those are the ones we got to go after with all of our might. This is why the shepherd leaves. Because they are in danger. He's he's concerned for them. The shepherd leaves immediately because the sheep is in danger. He doesn't shame the sheep, but he's concerned about it. Shepherds knew in that day a lost sheep could get attacked by wolves, fall off a cliff. So he needed to find it quickly. This is not about losing your salvation but entering into devastating sin. A lot of times what happens is the 99 gossip about the one. We say things like, I knew they were not real. I knew it was a matter of time before they dipped on Jesus. I knew that joy wasn't coming from Jesus. I discerned that it was coming from a man or coming from a woman. Y'all know how it is. I told them to go to Bible study. I told them to pray. That's on them. They shouldn't have went over there. I told them not to go over there. No. We shouldn't stand around murmuring and gossiping. You better go get them. We must say we will not stand around and do nothing. If Satan is going to have the one, he'll have to go through all 99 of us. If you want them, you're going to have to go through all of us because we're coming. We got to go, family. Because if we don't, they could be destroyed. And, oh, God, forgive us for not caring about your sheep the way you care about your sheep. Forgive us for being self-righteous and not understanding that we are among the 99 because of you. The only reason why you're not the one gone is because of God's grace. It's the only reason. In uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 2, we get a glimpse of God's heart for his sheep. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. What God's people need when they have gone astray is that their God is concerned and he loves them and he wants them to come back home. And they don't have to keep running from God because of their sin, because Jesus has paid it all, and because Jesus has paid it all, there's nothing left for you to pay but to come back home. Amen. Anyone who's pastor of the church, God shares a fraction of his heart with you for the weight of his sheep. And sometimes it will keep you up at night, and that's just a fraction of it. No believer needs to run from Jesus, but only to Jesus, because the cross has made peace between you and God, if you would repent and turn. Now watch this. So... The sheep strays, and the shepherd goes after the sheep. And what is the shepherd's response? It is a joyful one. Look at the verse. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. What does Jesus mean when he says, if he finds it? Now, in the Greek language, the word if can be spoken of in three conditions. It is called the first class condition, and that means "since." Then the second class condition, it means he won't. And the third class condition means maybe he will or maybe he won't. But this if here is a third class condition. Jesus uses very precise language. That's the thing about the Greek and Hebrew. They use very precise language. We say we love someone, we use that word love and for all kinds of things. You get in Greek, they got like 10 different words for just love and, you know, different things like that. And so Jesus is using very precise speech. There are times when straying sheep will not be found. As I told you before, it was dangerous for a sheep to stray. Sometimes when the shepherd finds the sheep, it could be devoured by a wolf or fallen off a cliff. So let's get this straight. The shepherd is concerned about the sheep because it could perish. Now, I know many of you, if you're like me, you know clearly the Bible doesn't teach you we can lose our salvation. So what's the point? Listen to me closely, closely. Come up close and listen. Never say, because I am a sheep with a shepherd, I can stray and Jesus will come and get me. Never say that. Here's another way you might talk. Oh, I can enjoy a little sin and he will forgive me. This is the wrong heart of true sheep. True sheep don't talk like that. That's like the young man who mom busted her tail to send him to college, and he says, I can go to college and do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about this. My mom paid for it. That does not express love for his mother. Some have ventured off to discover they are not true sheep. Their never returning proves they were never sheep of Jesus. Let me help you out. 1 John chapter 2 verse 19 says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You ever knew someone you thought without a shadow of a doubt was saved? They were At every Sunday service, they came to every event, they read their Bibles, and they prayed fervently, so it seems. And I'm telling you, if they don't come back to Jesus, they were never saved, ever. Now, here's the second condition of a strange sheep. Some strange sheep return, but they are hurt bad, And their condition is critical. One example is King David. You remember King David, right? He strayed from God. And what happened? He lost his child. He lost his kingdom. And he lost his family. Don't play with strain, church. The devil does not like you. He does not like you. The world does not like you. You run from the shepherd, you're in danger. Now, but the emphasis here is on the sheep that is found. How does God respond to lost sheep? Does he shame the sheep? Now, how many times have I told you to stay with the 99? I told you not to go there. Come on, you got kids. You know how it is. Didn't I tell you? See, I told you not to go clubbing with the goats. You in? Sorry. Don't laugh. So all of us were goats at some point. Didn't I tell you to stop having sex outside of marriage? That is not what he does. No, he rejoices. Why? Because of their recovery and restoration. The emphasis here is on restoration and recovery, which implies what? Forgiveness. Our Father loves to forgive. He rejoices over it more than the 99. Let me deal with the elephant in the room for just a moment. He rejoices over the one more than the 99. If you're like me, I'm reading the text like, hold up hold up, this person been doing their own thing and you're going to throw a party for them and I've been praying I've been reading my word and I've been walking on the straight and narrow and ain't nobody throwing me no party what's up with that God and it seems like when the lost sheep come, the, the church wants to throw a pizza party and blow up balloons and the pastor turns into Oprah. You get a pizza and you get a pizza and you get a pizza and everybody's celebrating. And I ain't got no pizza. <laughs> Tired of this. I'm trying to do right. Come on, can we be honest? God be looking like, where am blessing at? People who've been doing wrong, blessings start flowing down. you like, Man, maybe I need to stray a little bit. Yeah, maybe Jesus will show me some attention. Just saying. This is how we think in our flesh. But God loves you too, 99. He does. But in this moment, when this sheep returns, he rejoices. God is over himself. I mean, he is ecstatic when the sheep returns. He's having like his for real moment. He's happy, like a room without a roof. There's nothing that could bring him down in this moment when the sheep come. God is extra, extra, extra excited. Amen. Which is why I don't know why we're always combing church all the time. But I want you to see God's heart here. God loves to forgive. Let me give you some word here. Exodus 34, seven, keeping steadfast love for a thousand, forgiving the iniquities and transgressions and sins. Yeah. Nehemiah nine, seventeen: they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you perform among them, but they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger in abounding and steadfast love and did not forsake them. Psalms 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon you. Psalms 130, If you, O Lord, some marked iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Daniel 9, 9. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for, he, for we have rebelled against him. God loves to forgive What is God saying to us in this parable? What do you think? Do you all remember that song? Ain't no mountain high enough? Because, baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough and ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. Children of God, there's no valley low enough. There's no mountain high enough that will keep him from getting to you. Believer, there's no life too broken, no sin so sinful, no past too scarred that he will keep him from getting to you. How many people can testify about the grace of God? I tell you, grace don't make sense. Grace is illogical. And some of us can't comprehend the grace of God. But if it had not been for the grace of God going down in my valley and on top of my mountain, where would I be? You may be sitting here today feeling unworthy to be here, and I'm telling you, there is nothing that would delight God's heart more than to forgive you and restore you with the 99. It is not to the degree, is it not to the degree that we are willing to forgive someone that shows the depths of our love? As one guy said, Forgiveness is a wonderful word until you got something to forgive. What do you say of the husband or the wife who was cheated on but willing to forgive their spouse? Does not forgiveness express how great their love is for one another? Only strong love endures despite the pain. And only a foolish spouse would doubt the love of their spouse after forgiving them of a sin so great. So I see y'all don't know what it is to be found, what it is to be set free, what it is to be forgiven. Back in 2003, three girls went missing, one by the name of Amanda Berry for 10 years. She was locked up in a house and chained like an animal. Then one day, her perpetrator left the front door open, but he left the storm door locked. She began to scream, and her neighbors heard. His name was Ramsey. He kicked the door open, and she was able to escape. Now, here's the crazy part. Ramsey wasn't no fly guy. Most people said he was a nobody, but it doesn't matter. Because when you save somebody, nobody cares what you got on. Nobody cares what you look like. I came to tell you that the Bible says he had no beauty about himself for us to be attracted to him. But nobody cares. When you're able to save people from their sin and from their grave, Jesus came and he kicked the door down and he came to where you were and he found you in your sin and he came and he rescued you. I don't know about you, but when I think about all that he has done, I can't help but to give him glory. Oh, I'm talking about a hill far away called Calvary. Y'all don't know who I'm talking about. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet and they pierced them in his side. By the time he found us and when he saved us, he gave us our joy back. He gave us our peace back. He gave us more and better than what we ever asked for. Oh, but this is what Amanda Berry said when they found her. And I shouted myself because I said, Ramsey is a bad boy. He kicked in. They made all kind of T-shirts about him. I I wish if we knew how great it is that God saved us, we'll have T-shirts that say, I love Jesus. We'll be waving our hands. We'll be bragging at our job. We'll be barely containing ourselves. But here's the crazy part. Now, Amanda Berry did what after they said she ran into into the guy who rescued her house? she said, they said she called the police and she said, help me. I'm Amanda Berry. I've been kidnapped. I've been missing for 10 years, but I'm here and I'm free now. You got to understand, you got to tell the devil that, listen, my name is Dexter Harris. I've been rescued and I want to tell you something. I'm free now. Can't no chain hold me. Can't no devil hold me anymore because I've been set free by the grace of God. Church, I'm so thankful that this text does not end with strange sheep. This text does not end with you, but this text ends with God Almighty. He goes on and he says, so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. What is Jesus saying here? God will not let you perish. If you knew what I just said, you would lose your mind. God will not let you perish. Every day you get up believing, it's because of God. Every day you get up worshiping, it's because of God. The only reason you're still walking with him today is because he will not let you perish. God will not let it happen because he does not want us to be devastated. He warns us. He stays after his own. He does not want us off course. He does not want us to lose our salvation, and he will not let it happen. And so he comes after us. This is what Philippians says, and I am sure this, that he who had begun a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, the thing about sheep is that they are helpless, Sheep can't defend themselves against wolves. So they are dependent on an outside source for protection. The reality is we are no match against Satan. We're no match against the world. We're no match against our own sin. But Jesus, the good shepherd is greater and better than anything that can come up against us. So let me conclude with this. I'll say this and I'll be in my seat. Here's a very painful illustration. Back in Jesus' day, if a shepherd had a sheep that kept going astray and refused to listen to the shepherd's voice, the shepherd would strategically break the sheep's legs. Then the shepherd would take the sheep leg that it had broke, and he would put it back together and bandage it. Because the leg was broken, the sheep could not move Or keep up with the 99. So the shepherd would pick it up and carry it across his shoulders and feed it and nurture it and speak to it until it was healed. In hopes that the sheep, considering the trauma and the dental care of the shepherd, would be mindful not to go astray. The goal is that the sheep would see that it is more important to heed the shepherd's voice than to go wandering off into things that are not good for it. Listen, child of God, you don't want God to break your legs. But if you leave the 99 church, he will break your legs because he loves you. But he will put it back together again he's coming after you because he loves you I came to tell you many of us cannot comprehend this kind of love because so many people have given up on us and walking out on us in our darkest hours your husband may have walked out on you your wife may have walked out on you your friends may may have walked out on you, but Jesus will never walk out on you. The songwriter says, Jesus, my Savior from Bethlehem, came born in a manger of suffering and shame. In all his wonderful blessing, he came to seek me and me alone. God is about his sheep.